Yo, and we are back. And I am super excited about today's episode. Y'all already know I love talking about recovery, but most importantly, I love having the controversial, taboo, but important conversations surrounding addiction. And today's guest was absolutely ready to bring that fire to talk about all of the good things and what she is doing with her road to recovery and how she wants to be able to give back to her community in such a special way. Our guest today is another Turn Up Squad member, Miss Allison Gadish, and I'm telling y'all, when she came, she was absolutely ready and she killed it. So let's go. Hi, I'm Cola Shippentower, and this is the Enough is Enough podcast, the show where we talk about everything and anything from politics to relationships, from fitness to sex and everything in between. We talk with individuals who have said enough is enough and are ready to speak what's on their hearts. Addiction and recovery are probably two of my most favorite topics to talk about. And without really getting any more into the, of what we're going to talk about, and I don't want to spill the beans on our guests, I'd really love for her to go ahead and introduce herself. So Allison, tell us about you. Give us the whole shebang. What do our listeners need to know about you? Hi, I'm Allison. I am from New Jersey and I am a recovering addict. I, um, let's see. Well, I have three children. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and my three-year-old just turned three last week. So two boys and a girl. I've been married for six years, but been with my husband for 12, and he is part of my recovery story. So you'll hear a little bit about that at the end. Um, So you'll hear my Jersey accent. It comes out pretty thick when I get in my flow, Um, but I live in North Carolina now. Um, love that I met you through the turn up turn up has been amazing, but, um, so we'll start with my story. Um, anything else you maybe to introduce or do you want to just get going into it? No, I love all of that. And you know, Jersey, like, what is it like right now for you guys? Considering like the pandemic coming off of it, what, what's Jersey like right now? I don't live in there no more. Thank you. Oh, yeah. G- North Carolina, you yeah, said. I live in North Carolina, but yeah, born and raised in Jersey. Um, I left there when I was 18. So I was like, oh. goodbye. Mm-hmm. Oh, when was the last time you were there? Um, It's been about nine months, eight months, because my grandma still is there. So I go see her and she's still in Lynnhurst. And so, yeah, it's been a while now with the pandemic. There was a big reason not to go and she's in her 90s. So we got to really be careful. But um. Yeah, so it's been a while. Awesome. So you had mentioned because, you know, I've had a couple of ladies from the Turnip Squad on here and I'm still, you know, I'm like trying to wait for the most perfect time to get Tansy on here. And I'm, I'm starting to feel it a little bit like I'm feeling the energy coming up. We have the conference coming up and I don't want to give away too many details to our listeners. So because I, I really want to get Tansy on here here to let her talk about it. But, you know, we're a part of this movement, these this strong group of women and Rick, which is a lot of fun to be able to say that because, you know, yeah. he's there too. But um, how did you get involved with the turnip? What started that for you? I love that you asked that. Um, 2019, me and my husband finally bought our first home after bouncing around and renting for so many years. And honestly, um, I just went on a self-help journey. And I was not in the best place. I really thought that, you know, you're always, well, when we buy this house, when we have this, when we have that, I'll fi- we'll finally be, you know, we made it. 
And so I realized after buying that house, it was like a flood of emotions. And so I went on a self-help journey and I started looking up um, podcasts when it was Earn Your Happy, which is Lori Harder. And it was like a snowball effect from Tara Romano. And so she following her and Tansy just kept popping up. And I'm like, this is exactly where I need to be. And finding women like us that are just strong and independent and have that grit, but like, don't give an F like you don't see that very often. So I gravitated towards that immediately. And uh, dance has always been my passion always, um, which is part of my story. And so we'll get, I'll get into that now. Um, when I was younger, I was sexually touched by a cousin, um, a family member. And so um, at a young, young age, and I didn't realize it then, I realize it now that I'm an adult, that dance was my escape. I would go and do my twirling, baton twirling. I did that for eight and a half years. Loved it. Um, I still have all of them. And then I did cheering and dance. But the minute that music would play, I mean, I would just get lost in it. I would get lost in it and I would put my smile on. I was always up front and I always was, I take pride in that. It was very good. And um, when I started to have family issues and dance wasn't enough for me and the, it started to just spew and become too much, um, I started looking elsewhere for even more of a numbness and more of a, escape as you will so by um fifth between fifth and sixth grade was the first time that i had a drink an alcoholic drink and that was um from another family member and i have an older sister so of course i led uh followed in her direction and so um she had her own journey and i tend to gravitate towards her and um that was something that she touched very quickly too. So at a young age, I was smoking and drinking. And by the time I was in seventh grade, um, I got arrested for the first time because I brought alcohol to school. I brought vodka. So that was the first time that I was ever arrested. And I was obviously, um, what do you call that? Expelled, um, not expelled, but I'm, I'm at a loss. Suspended? But, um, yes, suspended. Oh. I said, no, geez, girl. <laughs> So I was suspended and um, that was very interesting. My sister was on a cheer convention and my mom was in Florida. So I took a car and I was a hot mess. I got in more trouble then. And then in eighth grade, I had brought marijuana to school. So that was the second time that I was arrested. And at that point, I already had gave myself a title. Troubled girl. Like that was it. And People in my dance communities, um, baton community, because by the time I was in seventh grade, I stopped twirling. I was still dabbling in dance and I still very much was in cheering. But my uncle passed away um, when I was in sixth grade. And so my mom found him dead. He died of an alcoholic induced coma. And so since then, my mom checked out. We were... I mean, rightfully so, she found him dead. It was just a lot on her. And then my grandma passed away and so did my grandfather within a three-year span. And so I took advantage of that and pretty much checked out. I ran the show and did what I wanted as a young teenager. And um, it just caught me and got me in so much trouble. And instead of 
staying with the communities of dance and reaching out to those adults that I really did trust. And that's something that if there was anything I'd regret and would want to teach and tell other young women is reach out to the other adults that you respect and care about because not everyone sees and wants to put their input or advice in other families' issues. But when a child calls out for help, um, really look for that, even in their actions, because most children aren't going to yell, I need help, I need help. Really look at their actions. And that is what's made me want to be the mother that I am today. Um, it didn't stop. I became a intravenous heroin addict by the time that I was 15 years old. I had done numerous amounts of ecstasy beforehand, and I truly, truly believe that that's what pushed me to want to do downers. I had pretty much exhausted every bit of serotonin that was in my brain, and I became extremely depressed and also losing the opportunity to cheer and dance. Um, I felt lost, pretty much dead inside. And no one really seen it. I mean, people did and tried to help teachers. I had a um, assistant principal was amazing. Um, yeah, Mr. Burks, he was a guardian angel. <laughs> um, he would really try and help me. And that was the first time that an adult had said, Allison really needs treatment and went to my parents. And my freshman year, I was put in an outpatient. And um Freshman year was pretty much the last somewhat of a normal school year that I had. Um, I relapsed in the outpatient and they sent me to a treatment center in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, during that time, backtrack a little bit because I went in November over that summer, I was dating someone that was way older than me and he was troubled. And so I had seen him get arrested and I knew that he was be going to jail for a long time. Um, I would see him in jail with his mom every now and again, mind you, I'm 16 years old, like this isn't normal. Um, and so going to that treatment center in Florida was like a safe haven. Best thing that ever happened to me. Um, best thing that ever happened to me because no, that wasn't the end of my story. And that so much stuff happened since then, but the tools and the stuff that I got from just going and that I still hold dear to my heart were from those times. And it was an adult program. So I was the youngest um, there. And so that was very interesting. I was like the baby. I had uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas there. And I celebrated my 17th birthday there. Um, yeah. um, they made it very special for me. They did bring me a birthday cake and everything. It was beautiful. And so then my time was up. And they were like, you need to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not going, guys. Sorry. Um, I knew that my boyfriend at the time was going to be released from jail. And so I was scared. I was scared shitless. It was um, my hometown was a very dark place. And I couldn't escape and go home because I was constantly getting kicked out. My mother and father were having huge marital issues. It was a mess. And instead of my mother wanting to, it, she was going through her own things. And so I was at the time a tool 
between her and my father instead of saying she needs me. It was they needed me. And um, it was it became too much. And so I chose to stay. They sent me to another program. I had someone come and pick me up and bring me to another um, program in Florida, Fort Lauderdale. And that is where I met my husband. Um, Yeah, he ironically, it works because most people know like two addicts together is like a no go. I mean, we heard everything under the sun from every person in their counselor. I mean, I misbehaved there. I got sent to a mental hospital for two weeks. And honestly, those moments I've tapped into so much recently because of like the mindset that I was in there because I thought of it like this. I'm in such a dark space in my life. There are people, there are other students that are getting ready for prom, dressing up, doing all these things that normal kids are doing. And I'm sitting here in a stray jacket because I'm yelling and screaming because I can't get control of my emotions, looking outside in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is beautiful. So you're seeing palm trees, you're seeing beautiful cars, and I'm in here dead inside. It was a pivotal moment in my life. It, and I'll forever hold those visions and those feelings dear to me because that's my my why, a lot of my why. Um, a lot more went in between. I kind of fast forwarded a lot of that. There was a lot of trauma, which pushed me to stay numb for so many years. I was um, raped four times um, throughout those years of using. And so it just became a constant look to be numb, whether I was laughing or joking, even when I was trying to get sober. So it wasn't until I came back and I relapsed again. I left Florida, came back. Um, They kicked me out of the rehab because I was misbehaving. I actually snuck out and went up to the CVS and stole some Stupid Mucinex pills and had the entire rehab tripping. It was such a shit show. Like I can't, I could smack myself. But um, so I look back now and I'm like, what would I tell a girl that would, that was acting like that, you know? And what could I, how could I change that? And honestly, all I keep thinking, and that's why Turn Up has been such a huge part of my life, and it's just the the embodiment, the dancing, the passion that I had when I was a child. And losing that and losing that, like, wholeness really had shaken me for so long. So when I became pregnant at 18 years old, um, I knew that that was the last time that I will ever get high again. And so that was it. I That was my story. My husband and I... Well, he was my boyfriend at the time. Um, He was like, look, my grandma will let us live in Ohio. So we came up with some crazy plan. And at the time he was in California and I was in Jersey. And so people thought I was crazy. I was like, I'm moving to Ohio. Like, What the heck is in Ohio? Like you live 40 minutes from New York City. What the heck are you doing? And I was like, I just know I have to leave. I have to go. Like I knew I was scared. I had no idea this at this point I was bopping around from house to house all over the place. So there was, why not? Why freaking not? You know? And so I did, I took that chance and we went to Ohio. Um, I became pregnant with my oldest son and 
I had him at 19. The reason why me and my husband work is because he wasn't addicted to drugs like I was. He was addicted to the anger and lived that type of lifestyle where more of a gang type of lifestyle, you know, bitch, the anger was addicted to the anger and getting numb in that way. Honestly, he thinks too highly of himself to be doing drugs like that. Like he's got the ego of like, oh my God. So, and that worked because he looked at me and saw stuff in me that I didn't see at that time. I truly believe that that's what helped me get sober was seeing someone else see something in me that I just never seen. And even though that's not necessarily the best way to go about it, it was almost like a push in the right direction that I just didn't, when you're using, you don't feel worthy. You're doing it for a reason, you know? And so whatever you have to do to grasp hold of like your worthiness, you know, I I wouldn't say like even my child being pregnant with him, there's no way because he is worth more than anything else, you know? And so by the time that I had him, Um, we were still bopping around and lots of ups and downs since then. Um, recovery hasn't been easy, um, at all. It's been hard. And I honestly think it's because I wasn't working on myself. I thought getting clean and sober, boom, good, grand. I never had people that I looked up to that were constantly involving, constantly looking to improve themselves and the trauma that they left behind. So I honestly, I laughed about it for the first two years, but growing up, people called me Allie. And then I started to not like, I'm like, I'm not Allie anymore. I'm Allison. And hi, I'm Allison. And introduce myself to everyone new as Allison. I just wouldn't want to be associated with that, that old Allie. And um, it triggered me actually when people did call me Allie. Okay. Because I didn't feel like that anymore. I was so disassociated with that girl. And it wasn't until a few years later that then I had my second son at 21. Um, We moved out to Colorado and I had him by myself. Well, my husband was there, but then he left to go get our two-year-old um, that was with my brother-in-law. But I was very alone, very alone all the time. Um, my sister also struggled with addiction. I was so worried at that time of my life about her and if she was going to come in and out of that, um, which is obviously just it's hard. Obviously, you know, when you have family that's in addiction and now you're on another side, it's like, you know what it's like, but you're like, you know, the you somewhat know answers. And it's it's hard to watch someone struggle in that way. Um, I also had a brother that was in prison for three and a half years. He's younger than me for other things. And so that wasn't easy either when I was really young, knowing that, I mean, I was having kids almost as a, you know, a young adult and having all these other family issues, it was just really difficult. And um, at the time, I was very upset that I was alone in Colorado. Now, I wouldn't change a thing. I honestly believe in my heart and soul that there were reasons why I was alone for so long. And it was to gain that inner love and trust within myself. And it took me a really long time. I mean, I'm still working on it. I truly am. Um, But postpartum depression hit me with all three of my children. And I definitely think that's something that people and women need to 
know when you suffer or go through addiction, that that is very highly like a possibility for you. So to, and I didn't know that it wasn't even spoken about. And to be honest, I was, I was very, um, I had a lot of shame. I was like, I didn't, I've got it all together. And like, you know, I didn't want, I had no one, I didn't have anybody really showing me or saying this is okay, or maybe you are, maybe you aren't. It was very like disassociated with like, you know, a facade, you know? And so um, it wasn't until I really got honest with myself after my daughter was born and she, we moved into this new house and she was about a year old that I was like, I'm going through postpartum again and I cannot deal with this any freaking more. And so I, when I made workout um, routines for myself over the summers and I did things myself in the podcast and then I found Tansy and it just was a snowball effect. I got certified to be an instructor. Um, and honestly, that has been something that I've been wanting to do for a really, really long time. I had joked around with my sister, like Kelly, like years ago, I know that I'm supposed to be like a gymnastics coach, a cheer coach. Like I have to be in that environment. I need to be around music. I need to be showing girls and women how to move their body and do things like that's where I'm supposed to be. And so when I had that opportunity to do that through the pandemic and not leave my kids and try to work through it around my husband's crazy busy schedule, I was like, this is perfect aligned timing. Like I'd be an idiot not to run into this full, full force. And so I did. And um, opening up, well, the turn up has opened up doors for me in the sense of just inner healing that I never even had options to do. I mean, obviously, I've always known talk therapy. Um, I've done it for years, and it just hit dead ends. But um, EMDR therapy has been beneficial in the past. And um, I truly believe that when you tap into those like dark moments of your life, and you deal with them head on and not pretend like they didn't happen. Like that's when you see growth. And that's when you see the difference. And you can look at it and and know that it's, it's there. It's okay, acknowledge it, move on to pretend that it never happened. It's like, that disassociation is just too thick. And that's where I'm at now. And I'm so grateful that you gave me the space to be able to even just speak on that. And yeah, I, I really do. I appreciate it because it's not easy to feel like you have this passion and you have this crazy story and you, you want to help others, but not know what to do with it and where to go. And especially when, you know, you can, you're a mom and you get so stuck in the everyday rut of like, you know, the, them and, and dishes and all the things. And it's like, where do, where does my passion come back in? Or how am I supposed to live my life's, you know, purpose in a sense? And I know I feel that I wouldn't have gone through any of that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, whoa, your story is like, the epitome and everything that we're talking about when we say resiliency. And I mean, to fall into addiction at such a young age, like, it's really hard for me to even imagine that. 
So that's what's so interesting about doing work like like this is being able to have the conversations and seeing other people's perspectives and seeing what things may like look like on their end. So something you mentioned at the beginning of your story is that, and this is what really had sparked my interest in your story when we were on Power Hour with the squad was you had mentioned that you um, were in recovery from heroin addiction. Mm. And so you had said the terminology um, intravenous heroin. So for our listeners that don't know what that is, what what is that? That's using a needle and not snorting it. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Okay. So mm-hmm. just for people that know, it's using actual needles to Yes, you're shooting it in your interiors. Okay, Mm -hmm. and that's that's almost like what we see on TV a lot of the time. Yes, which is kind of hard for some people to comprehend because they're like, people actually do that. So we have someone that's saying, yes, it is possible. And I mean, and this what's really hard for me right now is because our listeners can't see you. Like you're absolutely gorgeous. And so when I hear these stories, I'm like, wow, because you don't think that it's going to be this young, gorgeous woman that's shooting up drugs we think of like homeless old men that are doing these things so that's I think that's why it's so taboo to talk about these things and it's so controversial and kind of touchy and people feel uncomfortable because they already have this perception in their mind of what drug addiction looks like and also I mean I I felt it personally I I grew up on the reservation and when people think stereotypically Native Americans are alcoholics they think of the old guy that's walking down the road like collecting cans trying to get his next drink or his next 40. And then when I tell them and share my story, like I struggled with alcoholism tough. They're like, that doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, why? Because I don't look like what you think I should look like. So it's very interesting because you're, you're absolutely gorgeous. And I'm actually really interested. What is your, like, what, what's your background? Like your makeup? Yeah, I'm Italian and Irish and my mom was adopted. So it took us a long time to figure that out, but she's German and some type of, European something there. Oh, wow. so just, <laughs> but, but I claim Italian. No, I'm Italian. <laughs> you look it and the fact that you're from New Jersey, like would really say like, yeah, Guida, there you go. It, yeah. it works. That's, that's what it is. So, but wow. So again, what age was it that you had first tried heroin then? 15. 15. And I was that already is... doing ecstasy for like two and three years. And I was very addicted to cocaine and I was addicted to crack and meth. I was really a junkie, but I'll call myself a heroin addict for the most part. Cause that's what it was at the end for so long. Yeah. Because you'd already gone through all these other kind of exactly. really illicit hardcore drugs. That's almost like, you don't want to call it the end point because you kind of just, I've, I've heard people kind of just rotating through them sort of thing or finding something that could at least get them by until they can get their next fix yes. sort of thing. So 15, I mean, that is, what would a, what would a typical day look like then for you at that age in, in that addiction? Funny that you asked. I, well, not funny. It's, it's yeah. Um, because the more that I've tapped into my higher self now, I look back and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what the heck? So um, I wasn't staying at my house very much at all. I was kicked out all the time. And so if I was at my house, I wasn't getting up for school. I was waiting, doing whatever. And then I was selling marijuana and I was selling drugs to um, support my habit. And so that's really what I did a lot of the time. And then when I, if I did end up showing up at school, I was very much in the assistant principal's office because he was 
giving me a safe place to go. And yet I did quotations for anyone that didn't, that doesn't see that, um, a safe place to go, but I took advantage of it. And honestly, a lot of teachers didn't even want me in their class at that point. Like they, I, another thing I senior sublivered sublivatives, whatever. Um, I got teacher's worst nightmare because it was, I was a mess and I wasn't even in the school senior year because I was in a like tech school. They sent me to like, um, a community college to do like my classes over there. And so um, a typical day really would be trying to find a ride because I didn't have my license or a car or anything. And just really hustling. I had burner phones constantly because my mom was always shutting my um, my cell phone off. So I was always like doing some shady stuff to like get it back on, um, try to find a ride to a place where we would go to cop and that I spent, I mean, it sounds like not a lot, but that's for a 15 year old, that takes a lot and all day. And um, yeah, just partying all night and not sleeping. So that's just, you know, for being a 15 year old going through that kind of lifestyle to be able to come out on the other side with such a positive and vibrant person like yourself is just amazing. I mean, I, I try to put it in to be able to think of it in my own mind is 15 is only four years older than my oldest son. And I'm like, I, I couldn't imagine. But the fact that you still came out on the other side, got clean, and you're living this amazing life, you have your gorgeous babies, and you're talking about the turn up and what is an amazing movement that we we have right now. But the best part of that story is you learned all of these hard lessons early on, which is amazing and a blessing in itself. Because, you know, we, we do have people that have stories that they didn't learn until maybe like their mid thirties or late forties. Some people mm-hmm. end up dead and living a life like this. So it's, it tells me that the creator had a bigger plan and is like, I need you, Allison, to be around for something. I've got something big in store for you. So he says this, you little girl, think you're doing all these, these things for yourself, but I got you. I know what I'm doing with this. And, you know, I can see it. And I know a lot of the other ladies in the squad see it. And when you had first mentioned that I had, I have this really good habit of watching other people's reactions when we're in our power hours and in the zoom meetings, I'm watching people's reactions. You'll see people like snapping after people read their, uh, their journaling or kind of like the yes nods, but every so often you'll get people where their eyes are just like, like surprise and shock. And when you had mentioned being in recovery from your addiction, I think it caught a lot of us off guard. And Mm -hmm. for some people, I just don't know if they know how to react or respond to that. But I was immediately, I got to hit her up. Like I got to make sure I get in her DMs really quick because we're going to have a conversation about this. But, you know, I think you're definitely on the right track and you're heading in this direction of being able to share your story. And it's such an intense story. And mm-hmm. I think once, you know, the pandemic opens up and we're not doing anything so virtual and people will be able to see you, I think it's going to shed a lot of light for a lot of younger people. I mean, when I talk about my story, I'm, t- I'm coming from this perspective of a girl that turned 18 and she was already out of the house and she was able to kind of like make her own choices. But I think it's really important for kids to hear who are in high school now. And I mean, it's really unfortunate, but drugs and alcohol are starting to become more accessible for the younger people. And I mean, middle schoolers look way different than how middle schoolers looked when I was there. I mean, 
very much different. But considering that the accessibility to these things is a little easier nowadays, kids need to be hearing about this in school and knowing. And so your story brings that to light of saying, you know, like you have to start making these decisions now. You have to start thinking about your well-being now. And what an amazing story to be able to share that with the young people and let them know. And it's just, uh, so I'm going to talk about something a little bit like on the lighter side, just because, you know, talking about addiction can be really heavy sometimes mm-hmm. when you had gone into your, uh, treatment facilities, what was it that worked for you? You know, different things work for different people. So what, what was that moment that you were like, wow, this is, this is it. This is working. I'm staying clean and I'm moving forward. Let's go. What was that? Um, I didn't feel that way in any of the treatment centers because I wasn't ready. I'm going to be honest. Um, Like, honestly, I think the most profound thing was the first treatment center that I was in, and it was an adult facility. And to hear the adults speak about how much they lost or relationships they lost or the fact that they don't, their kids won't speak to them. That was the most profound was hearing their experiences, looking at me as a young girl and going what you said, you are not cut out for this life, girl, you are too pretty, you are too cute, you've got charisma like no other, what are you doing, get your life together now and they would, I mean, at dinners and every, they would just sit and tell me their whole life story and I honestly believe that that was the most profound was hearing life experiences from others and seeing and hearing what addiction does because it doesn't discriminate at all i mean i was a young young girl and yet there were people in their 60s there were moms that were just drinking wine and then there were people that were complete like you know taking advantage of their doctor i mean in so many different ways and avenues are we all addicted to things you know and so it really wasn't until i wanted more for myself and I really wanted to stop this cycle of like chaos. And so I stopped that, but it brought on so many other mental issues that just weren't dealt with for so long. And that is something that I would love to speak to high schoolers and to young children about because mental illness I mean, that happens and grabs hold of people now. I mean, especially with social media at such a young age. And so if we don't start talking about it, people, of course, are going to be looking for avenues to get numb and to not want to feel their freaking feelings. I mean, as adults, we do that, let alone these children. And so that is really important for me um, to bring my story like that I heard from other people into the schools and into places. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as adults, when we start looking back, even on our childhood, whether it be on traumatic experiences, something that we really enjoyed or that something that we really loved. Hindsight is always 2020. So I'd really love to hear kind of both sides of this, like in the moment, thinking back to 15 year old Allie and what she was going through, And then in comparison to now being this grown woman and talking about addiction, can you think of what those possible triggers, you brought up mental health and things like that. So what was it that maybe you were trying to cope through during that time that brought on the addiction? Can you, can you speak to that? Um, Family issues, definitely. 
I had that charisma at a really young age. And that was a um, hyper, I was very hyperactive. And so um, when the family got such, I don't know, such a mess, it really, um, it really messed me up, I guess. Uh, Yeah, those types of triggers were pretty big. Um, Just seeing my mom and not be as mentally strong as what I know that she could be. And that was huge. And also being not around the right crowd and dating older people, um, that wasn't acceptable. And also just being rejected. I think um, if it was caught on a little earlier by like coaches and other adults, maybe in the right way, but it was like, Allie was too much to deal with, like just get away like type of thing. And I felt that from everywhere. And I ran with that part of rejection. And I still suffer from that is, you know, wanting to be um, validated in some way or to not want to be rejected. So don't speak your full truth because God forbid that you're too much for them. And, and I don't feel that way really, but it's still something that like, you know, we, we, I can struggle with at times, but I know that my bigger purpose is to speak of it because when I do, even if it's, I get one weird look, but I get one person that says, Allie, like you're that light. Thank you. Like, or wow, I love, I know what you've been through and I see everything that you've accomplished. It, that means more to me. And that is more valuable than any amount of money because then it makes sense of everything that had my life. It makes sense of my life. And, you know, it's, it's, it's to help others. And I know that because I've been so alone for so long that there's got to be a reason why I've had to look in and, and work on myself that I was able to be strong enough to speak of this and to help others, you know? And so that's really where I'm at. You know, it's really interesting because it makes me think as a mom, like what we're trying to do for our kids and we're trying to do our best to raise them um, to be good human beings, essentially. And I think a lot of times we make mistakes as moms when our kids are coming up to us asking us like a bunch of questions where they'd be super random. Like, mm-hmm. Why is the sky blue, mom? Because that's how it was created. But why was it created that way? I get to that point as well. I get really impatient and trying to like explain things. And, you know, we're all human. We make mistakes. And um but that's essentially what kids are wanting to do. They want to connect. They want to have conversations. They want to know that you're interested. They want to know that the adults that they look up to in their lives are connecting with them and wanting to be around them. And so what I've noticed when I talk to other people that are um, either struggling with their addictions or they're trying to get back on, we call it the red road in our culture, but trying to be in recovery is that it kind of comes down to something that they were looking for during that time when they first tried something. And I'll speak to my own personal experience was I had this really difficult time trying to be perfect in every way that I could education wise, sports wise, music wise. It was like, I was always taught if you're going to do something, don't half-ass it, go 110%. And that's where a good majority of like the I would say the the blessings that I have now, the opportunities I have now, I still approach them like that. But at a young age, not understanding that and trying to say like, I, I took it negatively, like nothing I do will ever be good enough. Nothing I do will ever be perfect. And so what am I going to do? And once I realized like the drinking kind of helped numb that, and then it kind of got to a point where I was like, oh, dang, like, all right, nobody's even going to ask me to do anything anymore if I'm just so just out of it all the time. And that's why I had done that was to kind of block that out. So it's really interesting that you mentioned just 
as children, especially since you had talked about how your addiction started so early was, you know, we want to be loved. Our kids want to be loved. And it's so important. And, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about addiction, it can end up being generational if we're not careful, which is really important for people to realize. So is um, for me, um, alcoholism is very generational. It's actually cultural, like um, Native Americans, we struggle with alcoholism just because our bodies are not made to break down sugars and alcohol the way it does for other people of other ethnicities. So it's kind of huge, especially with diabetes and other things like that. But um, in your experience, is addiction generational in your family or anything? Um, well, it hit my brother and it hit my sister. <laughs> um, my mom, I wouldn't say she was, she was addicted to her mental illnesses honestly. Um, and my dad still suffers with numbing himself with marijuana constantly. I mean, I love plant medicine. I think if you use it for the right things at the right times, it could be very beneficial, but it could also run your life and make you numb for 50 something years. So, you know, I mean, um, my mom found, her father about two and a half years ago and learning a little bit more about him and his story made a lot more sense too. And I love that you touched on the ancestral um, generations because I am right now reading a book and to break that, like all aspects of that, like that is why my, not only to help young addicts, but I truly believe I was put on this earth to break this crazy cycle. Like I truly believe that in my heart and soul now and to show my kids a stronger way of life. But, um, my, uh, mother's father was in one of the first group homes back in New York state in like, I don't know, the forties or something. And so that was very interesting to kind of see, like we've been troubled for a really long time um, behaviorally. So we definitely, I've got to break, we're breaking the freaking cycle. Like it's it 2021, man, it's a big year for a lot of people. And I'm like all here for it. <laughs> I try to remind myself, cause I've, I've seen this someplace and I, I love the way it was put was it, it ran in my bloodline until it ran into me and oh. saying it's done. It ends here. So mm-hmm. I love that. And you know, it's really hard when we're coming from, these backgrounds like Italian wine, wine and cheese and pasta. Like that's yeah. the thing there. Wine with yeah. everything. The vino is everything. So, you know, when you have a, that's part of like your culture because it's, it's a celebration a lot of times. So it's really, it can be really difficult to break those things. So, and then also addiction doesn't have to be like drugs or alcohol. Like no, you definitely touched on something there is when I was going through um, trying to get sober and trying to figure out uh what it was going to mean for me trying to find the bigger why when I was going through that whole journey, I replaced my, my unhealthy and toxic habit with a healthy habit, but I very quickly turned into a toxic one. And that was going to the gym and training. So I was, I was training at 5am, went to work, would hit a noon workout right after I got off of work, I would hit the gym and be there until closing time which was usually like 10, 10 PM. And so that was basically my drink. That was me numbing, whatever it was that I was trying to work through. And it wasn't until I met my husband that he had told me you're overtraining. You don't have to be in the gym all the time. You don't have to do this stuff. So he started introducing me to new ways to stay active and still feel like I was doing something for my body. So we can definitely say that addiction can be other things. And I definitely feel like it's a lot of, uh, it is 
behavioral and mental health that we're having to deal through because I was having to think like what is it that I'm trying to cover up what is it that I'm like wanting to not work through and I really need to address rather than trying to cover it up with some sweat or mm-hmm. I'm sitting here avoiding taking a shot so w- what is it so and it's, it's super important for anyone that might be struggling with an addiction right now is okay. where where is this coming from like what do, what do we need to work through here so uh, that's super important for people to reflect on I think and um I'd love to get into talking about your certification with Turnup. So do you have any plans for what what's happening? Are you teaching at a gym yet? Do you have plans? What it what's what's going on? Um so I started to get my group fitness, the AFA. Um and as you now guys know my story, I'm not the best at school. So that has been hard for me <laughs> to just make time in between momming and doing all the things to study. But I'm I'm not stopping. We're doing that. But so I've been doing virtual. But to be honest, like my biggest dream is to start the business alive again. And I have a passion for choreographing myself. Like I can put a music on and I can just come up with a dance like that. And that's really how it all began. So when I had the opportunity to just be certified to dance or to do turn up, I would jump on it. So I'm, I really am going to be doing both. I do virtual classes on the band app um, on Sundays, but really I want to start and get alive again, up and going because I want to go into schools and I want to, I called the Raleigh woman shelter. They haven't called me back yet. I might have to call again. <laughs> hey, don't forget about me. But like, I have a vision for alive again and it's to bring dance fitness to, I mean, I see it as far as even going into jails. Like really, if people give me the opportunity, like I know it, I know I can embodying and moving as women and feeling not shameful when we move our bodies in a sexy way. It's, it's like empowering and everyone should freaking know about it. (laughs) Everyone, um, honestly too, it's struggle. I struggle with my marriage in that type of way because I've gone through so many different traumas. Um, that is a whole nother subject we can get into. (laughs) but um, I love him dearly and he is so patient with me and my beautiful husband, but that has been a struggle for me is to tap into that sexy side, but not have the trauma and not feel disassociated and has nothing to do with him. It's all everything to do with me and all of that. And so I really, really, really do want to help women fix their marriages in that way, you know, and be one with their husband in a sexy confident way and so a lot I would I'm going I am because I'm putting it out there that um I'm gonna start like lap dance classes like and things like that and incorporate my husband in those (laughs) oh my god girl I love it because it's when you were talking I was just like like getting chills and like goosebumps were coming up because it it's meaning that this little 15 year old girl that was struggling so hard with feeling, you know, essentially accepted and wanted and valued and not knowing what to do other than to turn to their addiction. And then as a grown ass strong woman saying, I'm going to take what I love. It's in my mind, this is how I'm envisioning a girl that loved dance, loved dance, loved music, and then had this, 
this traumatic experience happened with this addiction, but then bringing it back full circle saying, you know what? I love that. I felt most myself mm -hmm. and this addiction is not going to define me. It just set me up. It just set me, it just laid out this foundation. It may have been, it felt rocky in all of it. It may have felt like very unsure, but it was laying down this solid foundation of showing you that you were fully capable of coming out on the other side of something with such a positive and loving personality and soul. And the fact that you're wanting to help women, it's to me, it's almost like this whole mirror effect. It's like you're looking at that little girl that was feeling all that because you're wanting to work with kids, you're wanting to work with women. Like you're talking about going into jails and teaching this. I haven't even like heard of that, but that would be amazing because we're essentially putting these women into a place and saying, survive, survive, survive here. And then when your time's up, let's see if you come out. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been to jail before. It's not fun. It's the worst. Yeah. Um, my kids asked me, what's jail like? And they really didn't believe me. I'm like, go stand in the pantry, turn off the light. And that's exactly what it's looked like. Like there's nothing to do. Lots of bangs and dings over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not fun, but to be able to take your passion, your love for dance and saying, I'm going to, teach these kids i'm going to teach these women on how to move unapologetically how to move powerfully and love themselves in the the skin and bodies that they're in is huge and it's amazing to be able to come out on the other side and say that and i love that you said i am because that's what we talk about all the time is manifesting everything into our life and speaking it into existence because once you say it then it's like mm -hmm. oh I can't like let myself down. I told some other people about this. So oh, I gotta, I gotta do it. Like I love putting pen to paper. I love journaling. Like I, I will do it like for as long as I can. But once you say something that has like a whole different feel to it. And then once you say it to someone else, yes. then that's even like, boom, like even bigger. So I absolutely love that idea. And, you know, being able to start working on, you're saying like lap dances and like, that's a, for me, that's really interesting because, you know, I've done the couples counseling. I've done the marriage counseling. Um, I've been divorced mm -hmm. once. And I'm on my on my second marriage, my last marriage, like I should say it like yes. that. But um, so I've been through those things. And, you know, sitting down and talking about things is not my personality when it comes to relationships. It's and but when you find the right person, it's a little bit more natural and you can have a conversation like my husband. Like I can talk to him all day. He will say that I talk at him all day and he listens to me all day but you know I connect with him and we can vibe um but I don't think that for a lot of people talking about it is always going to work now providing other options of like therapy which could be dance because for some of us we're like hey tell me if I can move my body to get something done give me something tangible to do in order to help like progress in my relationship or in my marriage or to figure out what I have going on in here like whatever I can do to help that and even I I think it would be kind of cool because we have um coaching like singles coaching so how do we tie in dance to help you feel a little bit more confident about your own body and even if you are on your own you're going to go to the club on your own how are you going to move and how are you going to feel and how are you going to attract that vibe that you need to come to you whether it be a guy or a girl, like what, what, how are we going to do that? So I love all of this. It's such an amazing idea. And once you start dropping that, like keep us posted, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely share that. And so, you know, as, as deep and as hard as talking about addiction is, and for some people that aren't ready to talk about it, um, I know a lot of points that you talked about today probably really hit home with them to 
think, okay, I'm not alone. There's other people that are struggling with this and trying to work through this as well. On the other side of this, we have recovery. So in this journey that you're in now, are you finding it easier to stay clean or is there been days that are maybe just a little bit more difficult or what do you, what do you do in those times where you're starting to, you know, kind of question it and trying to figure out exactly what the next step is? Um, I never think of going back to that place ever because I can't, I hold myself so much higher. I don't even, to even think of that almost makes me want to smack myself, but the feeling of maybe wanting to feel numb again comes up very often in the sense because of mental illness. And so I'm very new at it, but meditation, and I'm sure people are like, wah, wah. no, for real, meditate, people meditate, tune in. Like when people are pointing out and you're saying you, 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 and I've heard this three fingers are pointing back at you. So look at yourself, like go inward. And a lot of that is within me. I get, I could say my kids could trigger any, anything could trigger anybody for anything, but that's, it's, it's knowing you, what to do with that. I think that honestly, if I were to really look into it, it's when my relationship and my marriage isn't where it should be. I can handle and manage everything else. But the hardest thing for me is when me and my marriage is like on the rocks. Um, not that I ever look again to using, but it's like that it almost brings me back to that place of like, like suffocation, you know, I just want a solution and fast and like, that's not realistic. You got to work for it. And we've already made it all this time. So like just making sure that I walk away because I can get very angry, very quick. I, that is another thing I think, uh, I ran with a little bit, like I got addicted to the anger. Or, you know, that can, yeah, that's like my second feeling. I just always get angry for things. And instead I walk away when you're angry, tap in and meditate and look inward. And it's really, really important. And breath work, I've learned that breath work is amazing. And you can't always just go out and like do yoga and stuff. I would obviously say that, but like when you're in the mix of like, emotion, whether it's with your kids or in your car and they're fighting and you're like hitting, you know, smacking the back seat or something like breath work, like tap into your breath work and really do it and mean it. Cause I tend to clench my jaw and I hold a lot of like my anxieties and stresses in my shoulders. And I notice the difference when I'm like really feeling it. I could, I, I tense up and I, I probably walked around like that for eight or nine years and didn't even really know, but it's now I'm like, you know, taking that deep breath and tapping into myself and letting go, even if like screaming is happening around me, but it's like tuning into myself and really getting back to like the basics of, again, like, what do I want? Even in my intention for that day, not tomorrow, one day at a time, as silly as that is like, and I don't even like to say that because I have my own things with AA, but really though, like, one moment, one minute, one day at a time. Because if you look a little too far, far, you can, I can really get messed up. Don't get me wrong. I love manifesting and I love looking and dreaming and being in dreamland, but you've got to be realistic, you know, especially with what you're feeling and how you're feeling, you know? So. And, you know, you said something really powerful that you're able to really stand firm on, which is you're not going back to that. 
You're not no. going to pick up another needle and do anything like that. To be able to very confidently say that is so powerful and something that you should be very, very proud of. And I know a lot of people are working towards that, but you're able to come from this place where you have identified these areas. You're talking about your jaw clenching up, your shoulders get tense. You're able to break down these things now where these are your signs mm-hmm. of like, oh no, it's getting to a point. I need to do something to try to figure out what it is that, why my, why my body is reacting. And that's something really important that people should understand is that your body is going to tell you something way before you're facing sure. it flushed when you're really frustrated, or you might get goosebumps if somebody, something scares you or makes you nervous or on edge. Or I think people should really look into maybe a little bit of research on that, like different mm-hmm. body responses and how you respond in certain situations. If you're still trying to figure out, well, I don't really know what triggers me. I just kind of like feel like I'm going to do, do it. And then I just do it. Yeah. It is, it's just like, same with like eating disorders. Like if you're right. binge eating and you're really going for it, why is it that you're going to the fridge? Oh, probably because I was bored or maybe because I turned on the show and my mind has already been trained, go get something to eat before you sit down and watch the show. And it's just like working out. If we're working out intensely, we know go fill up your water bottle and come back here. Kind of notice these little things. And it, it kind of goes into if you have these habits created, then you got to check to make sure that they're good, healthy habits. So I really like that you pointed out noticing your body, being in tune with your body, not just moving through life and just, you know, existing, but Mm -hmm. living and thriving and understanding, wow, okay, yeah, like when I'm super comfortable, when I'm around this person, I'm just chill, I'm relaxed. But when I get around this person, I can feel it. I don't like it. My palms get sweaty. I'm like sneezing uncontrollably. Like this is just ridiculous. I don't want to be around them. Or when I'm around this person, I get this really ugly laugh because I'm baking it through it. So being more in tune and aware of all that is really, really cool. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. So, um, well, Allison, is there anything that you would like to share to someone who may be struggling with this or trying to figure out like what life is right now and what, what they have to look forward to if they are going to keep fighting this fight. Um, I would say just keep pushing, love yourself, literally walk to the mirror, look yourself dead in the eye and say, I love you like five times. Hold yourself. I can hold my skin and literally get emotional now and look at my hands and almost brings me to tears. I go, wow, you've been through a lot. Start to talk to yourself like you are precious, like, and because you are, you know, and when you start to talk to yourself that way, it starts to make you feel that way. And so I would say do that every day until you really, truly believe it, because you can hear it from your mom, you can hear it from your grandma, you can hear it from your sister. But until you really do believe that you're going to always be looking for something else and don't don't forget your passions. Mine, you know, and we can agree, you know, um, say that dance and music, but whether it's art and you love painting and you love colors and like run with that, like don't ever lose that set time aside, whether you love doing Legos when you were young and you forgot how awesome that was to build something like just don't forget that because that child like passion is really what will keep you alive as an adult. And I truly believe that. Um, and I keep reminding myself that when I get, you know, tense with my chat, my children and my middle son is literally my mirror. He, he gets very angry. He can't sit still like all the things. And so we have like a code word biscuit and he comes out into the garage and he hits the punching bag. And like, I wish I had that when I was younger. 
um, just to like literally push out those aggressions and those emotions like in that moment. And it's intentional in that moment, you know, and and just whatever it is for you, find it and stick with it. Don't don't talk yourself in your head like this is it. This is the end all be all because it's not And majority of what you're going through is inspiring. So use that. Stop whatever you're doing and write it down. How do you, how did you heal? What are you going through and how can you help the next person? Even if it's just one person, you don't need to be walking and speaking and being a mentor for the world or be a freaking influencer, but like help your cousin. If you feel like they're struggling, help your aunt, like just find that love to help others. Cause then you want to help yourself. And I truly believe that now. And that's what you know, even in the 12 steps, they say when you're done, find your sponsor or just like always keep that going. Like, don't hold on to your experiences or your wisdom. You should be giving that to others. And so I truly believe that even on a small scale of things. And if people or children or young people going through addiction and and struggles, I would truly tap into like what you're good at and what really makes you feel alive. Absolutely. And it's gorgeous. And I couldn't put it in any better way. It was amazing. I'm so happy that you shared your story today. And you know, who big deep breath for everybody that's listening. And you know, we like to end this podcast on a lighter note. So what we do is uh, rapid fire questions. So you have to try to answer it with as few words as you can with almost near to no, to, to no explanation on it. So okay. What is your current Netflix or Hulu watch? What are you What are you looking at on the TV? Oh, I've been really trying not to. <laughs> um, well, I'm like a really. I'm ashamed to say this, but I love my housewives. <laughs> oh, see, I haven't watched that one. I haven't watched I love that one. All housewives, but that's another thing. Is like you are what you watch, and I've stepped away a lot a lot of it from like social media and just watching dumb stuff because especially right before you go to bed now don't get me wrong here there and everywhere treat yourself but like don't just don't just sit around and watch that stuff it really will consume you (laughs) but that is like my guilty pleasure Yeah, it's funny because I'm like, we can't have an explanation on these questions like when you're trying to answer. But I'm like, but wait a minute, you just mentioned something like where you like embody it, like the housewives. That's like your probably like your attitude or your persona or your alter ego. I went through a really shitty ordeal earlier this week, but I've been watching a lot of Shits Creek and everybody that follows me on Facebook knows that I am binge watching this. And it was a really horrible situation. I definitely did not want to be in, but it was necessary that's besides the point. But I found myself responding like David, kind of like, just, ugh, are you serious right now? Or sometimes when I was just like, this is ridiculous and being over enthusiastic and sarcastic, I was tapping into not Moira, but the daughter. Oh, why can't I think of her name? And it's not Stevie, but the daughter, she's really just like, hmm. So yeah. sorry, hear that. And I was like, trying my best not to respond like that because it was just, oh, it, it's so funny. But I I love that you brought that up. And All right. Like- I love this. <laughs> That's doesn't? my my next watch list. All right, <laughs> next one. What makes you laugh the most? Laugh? Goofy noises. Like I am all for corniness and goofy noises. <laughs> and what song would you choose for karaoke? What's your go-to? Mm, the Voice Within by Christina Aguilera. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. 
And which do you prefer doing? Washing the dis- dishes or folding the laundry? This is a true mom question. Wow. Whoa. I'd rather do the dishes. I do not like folding laundry. Really? Wow. Yeah. See, I enjoy folding the laundry if it's like blankets, sheets, or towels. You got that right. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. Dishes, I I like doing the dishes. I won't, well, I won't say like it, but if I'm doing them, it's the plates. Plates are easy. Just easy peasy. Easy. Um, silverware. I hate silverware. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate socks for laundry. I absolutely hate. Don't even. Oh, I won't do the socks. I'll put them in a basket. And I'm like, yep. you guys want them? Go find them yourself. I do enough around here. <laughs> exactly. We have a sock basket. And I'm like, that thing stays in our closet because I know y'all don't like to leave everything in the basket. The boys like to dump it out when they look for it. So when we had it like in our hallway or whatever, they would be like spread everywhere. So I'm like, nope, laundry basket is staying in the walk-in closet now because if it, it can be contained, like it can be contained at least there. So in there, for sure. <laughs> and I'm going to tap a little bit into what we do in the squad. And this was really cool because, you know, as a fighter, I've always had like a fight name. So when we were talking about like alter egos and giving it a name and thing like things like that, I just went with my fight name. KO. All right. Yeah, that's how I live my life. But hearing other people's stories on this for their for their alter ego name was a lot of fun. So I want to mm-hmm. hear about your alter ego story and like the quick brief background on it. Um, so I originally chose Amina Marie like a year or two ago. And that was just like when I would start to dance and like be real sexy, I would like joke around because my husband would be like, what are like, who are you? What are you doing? And like, so that became a joke. But then when Amani did the meditation and I really thought about it and it didn't feel like as organic when I was saying like Amina on the turn up page, it took me a while, but I I came up with heroin Holly and it's because heroin means a woman that is idolized for her outstanding achievements and accomplishments. And to me, I'm a heroin addict, uh, recovering heroin addict. And so that word was very like traumatic for me for many years, just to hear it and all of those things. And now to turn it into a beautiful thing, like is everything to me. So, and Holly um, was a name that I loved ever since I was a little girl. I had like, this movie, The Christmas Bears, and it was Christopher and Holly. And I was like convinced that I was going to name my kids that never happened. My husband hated that name. So it didn't work. But heroin Holly, it just came very organic. And I love the color green. And that's really who I tapped into tonight when I got ready, because I'm like, you know what, this is who you really are. And this is who you want to be. And she's a confident, strong woman that speaks clear and doesn't get as anxious as Allison. So <laughs> adapt into her. It's such a beautiful story. And you know, I I don't know if you saw it, but a lot of like the comments were all saying that's who you've been since day one, even when you were going through the shit, all the shitty shit, like how Miss Judy says it, you were <laughs> heroin Holly, like since then, and going through all of it, you're just I like to call it like earning your stripes. It was just going through it to be able to get to this point. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm so glad that we got to sit down and connect. And I love listening to your story. And, you know, you really got to get a podcast of your own because, girl, you kind of just took it and you went with it. Like you've done this like a million times already before. So I'm like, uh, attention all high schools and middle schools, get her on your on your list yeah. for like orientation to talk about this stuff. Because this is important. This shit is important. Like people need to be talking about this with kids like today like yeah 
for sure. every single year. You know, so. what's funny about that. Um, I've been talking about wanting to start a podcast for a while now, but like imposter syndrome really is like hanging over me some days with certain things and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I know my worth and I'm getting out there a little bit here, there and everywhere. But so I've been writing it down. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a podcast in my manifestation journal. And so when I, I was in the VIP group for turn up and that was something that I told Tansy is like, I just have this bigger passion, this bigger gut feeling inside of me. I know I need to speak my story out. So like two of the homework she had me do is like write out my timeline and like, just go a little bit further in my story. And so when you asked me that night, I swear, I was, I like ran into my bathroom, looked at myself, and I was like, you, <laughs> like, even though you didn't start your own, like, it, it, you came to me organically, and it, that meant the world to me, and yeah, I felt like it was like a push, like, oh, you've got it, like, stop, stop second guessing yourself. Absolutely, so. and I really don't think that things are by, like, happenstance, I think it's all, like, creators saying, like, hey, I got you, I already know what you're feeling, girl, like, I already know what you, what you, what you think you're in control, of, but I'm gonna tell you, like, boom, here it is, you know, I really felt drawn to, like, reach out to you, you have such an amazing story, and I hope you continue telling it to everyone and anyone that will listen, and, you know, any of the resources, any information, we will definitely have them in the show notes on this episode, and make sure to go and follow her on Instagram, or friend her on Facebook if she's open for that, but if you are are at all feeling like the struggle or feeling like you need any sort of help or need just to reach out to someone, don't hesitate. I'm positive after this interaction, Allison is willing to help and be an ear and do what she can on her part. I'm also here and there's tons of resources that we have all over the place. So definitely reach out and don't ever feel like you're alone. Again, Miss Allison or Heron Holly, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Thank you, Cola. I really, really appreciate you giving me the space to share my story. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Enough is Enough podcast. If you would like more information on our host, guests, or podcast episodes, please visit us on Instagram at EIE541.